Special dedication to the legend Curtis Mayfield for me using this track. Let me go ahead and talk about my podcast, Wendell's World in Sports. Wendell Wallace of Wendell's World in Sports saying Kipasa, Konnichiwa, Salam Aleikum for all of you partaking in a sports talk podcast full of opinions and debate. This one-man show that's good to go and flow into the everyday discussions about the world of sports and social reform that might affect them will enjoy performing that task so I just won't shut up and stick to a sports-only podcast. Whether it's professional athletes behaving badly, sadly committing crimes that bind the worst of negative stereotypes, or players who are steeped in the social activities with the proclivity to provide civility and humility in times of need, I will indeed discuss everything from the disgusting and disturbing Deshaun Watson allegations to the embarrassing situation of qualified minorities not getting head coaching opportunities in the NFL as well as when players discuss social reform and display their constitutional rights. Those are the points that on my podcast I will bring into the light. I will delight to give my thoughts on the -the off-the-field reality in its totality if it affects their performance on the field, court, ring, octagon, or ice. The bottom line at the end is I begin to ascend my podcast to a higher degree or level. Knowledge and strong opinions being the details in this devil. Should we start to be concerned for Marcus Freeman of Notre Dame after losing his third game in a row? What do we take away from the first game of the NFL season that the LA Rams were buffaloed? My Josh. Allen looked like an MVP, and with Vaughn Miller being a defensive killer, this team has shown the rest of the league that they will be hard to stop a thriller like the late King of Pop. Those are the issues that matter that deserve the chatter to be mixed into a batter to be baked into a sports talk podcast like mine that is so great. Wendell's World in Sports, my podcast is sweeter than the berry named Hallie, squashing any attempt for my competition to rally. A clear and present victory if you check the final tally. I'm at the top of the mountain while you're still down in the valley. And finally, in my finale, I must emphasize that you need to realize if you want to find a better podcast to watch and listen to, stop looking because in the words of the great one, the people's champ, The Rock, my Sports Talk Podcast is the best. If you smell what The Rock is cooking. Wendell's World in Sports, the most unique, entertaining Sports Talk Podcast that you can listen to, subscribe, download, rate, review, most importantly, enjoy anywhere, anyway, and anyhow you watch or listen to your favorite podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most unique, entertaining, and compelling sports talk podcast you'll ever listen to. Let's be great. Let's be great. Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Giannis charging down the lane to the rim. Double clutch. No good. Tipped in. Giannis tipped it home. Subscribe, rate, and review anywhere and everywhere you listen to this and all your favorite podcasts. And now, from Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Rip, groin, and ready to rumble, Wendell Wallace.
Man, throwing out those special dedications as I start this program, as I start this podcast. Special dedication for those who are listening in Southern California. Special dedication for those who are listening in Nevada. Special dedication for those who are listening back home in the DMV. Special dedication for those who are listening to this podcast in NYC, in Philadelphia, in Pittsburgh, in Dallas, in Ontario, Canada. And also special dedication for those who are listening to this podcast in Brazil. Special dedication for those who are listening to this podcast in Australia. Special dedication for those who are listening to this podcast in Pelry, France, and also speaking about anywhere in Pakistan, anywhere across the globe. Thank you so doggone much for listening to Wendell's World of Sports. If you could do me a favor, if you could go, and I know where you're listening to this podcast, if we're speaking about iTunes, if we're speaking about Spotify, if we're speaking about iHeart, if we're speaking about Amazon, anywhere where you listen to this podcast if you could do me a favor if you are enjoying what you're listening to i need them five stars y'all need them five stars give me them five stars want those five stars ain't too proud to beg for those five stars if you like what you're listening to give me them five stars download subscribe rate review most importantly enjoy the most unique entertaining thought-provoking sports talk podcast you can listen to i would thank you so doggone much and if you want to see how this is done, if you want to see this man do a thing on the microphone in terms of speaking about what's happening in the everyday of sports and the issues that surround and affect the everyday of sports, if you want to see this handsome devil do a thing, then go over go over to my YouTube channel, Wendell's World in Sports. If you're going to like what you see, speaking about the ladies between the ages of 42, 48, make sure y'all ain't married. But if you uh like what you see, yeah, go over there and give me them five stars or go over there and subscribe to my YouTube channel and um, tell me how it is. I would very much appreciate it. All right, Wendell's World of Sports. So glad that you could be with us. All right, let's see what we're going to be speaking about. Look, y'all, before I get into the NFL, I understand the NFL is king here in the racist, ignorant, divided, selfish states of America. I understand that I should be getting down with what's happening with the Dallas Cowboys went over the Cincinnati Bengals and the injury to Trey Lance. What does it mean for the San Francisco 49ers? The brawl down in New Orleans between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the New Orleans Saints. I know I should be getting into all of those things. The incredible comeback that the New York Jets had in winning against the Cleveland Browns. The Miami Dolphins coming back and winning against the Baltimore Ravens. The incredible performances uh, throughout the league. Before I get into all of those things, and I will get into all of those things very quickly, I want to give a special dedication. And I want to start because my favorite athlete of this generation and even the last generation retired this past week i'm speaking about the great one i'm speaking about the legend i'm speaking about the goat tennis legend roger federer retired at the age of 41 after a series of knee operations he announced it on thursday if you take a look at his achievements he won 20 grand slam titles he played in more than 1500 matches over 24 years has 103 tour level titles has 1,251 single match victories, which is second only to Jimmy Connors in the U.S. Open era, which began in 1968. And, and the reason why I say this is because, look, for the most part, man, basketball is the love of my life. I love the NFL. I love football. I used to like baseball a lot more than I do now. But you now you have the sport of boxing. You have the sport of MMA. You have all of these things not Really, do we ever get an opportunity, at least in this country, to speak about what's happening in tennis? And when you speak about what dominates, playing the hits, 
when it comes to, you know, sports talk, when it comes to uh, sports podcast and those type of things, tennis is very, 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 very rarely mentioned, especially, again, in this country. So when you're speaking about the exploits, when you're speaking about the legend, when you speak about the career achievements, when you speak about the greatness of someone like a Roger Federer, for the most part, it's kind of like, you know, it's like a shoulder shrug in terms of, eh, whatever, it's tennis, no big deal, this, that, and the other. But for me, what Roger Federer really represents for me, not just a situation where, look, man, if you miss the opportunity in your prime or when you can still remember or when you still have a few decades left in your life, if you miss the opportunity to truly enjoy the marvels of a Michael Jordan or a Wayne Gretzky or a Joe Montana or a Peyton Manning or a Tom Brady or a Sugar Ray Leonard or a, um, or a, a Manny Pacquiao or a Usain Bolt or a Michael Phelps or a Kobe Bryant or a LeBron James, or an Albert Pujols. So I'm just naming all of these legendary, great, great, great athletes who names will resonate and be synonymous with greatness for generations upon generations after we're long gone. After we're gone and whether we're going to heaven, going to hell, or somewhere in between. These names, these legends, these people are still going to resonate, are still going to mean something. Not just in sports, but a lot of these people, a lot of these athletes that I just mentioned, we're speaking about also in society. As I mentioned before, when I speak about the greatness of such icons, of such American heroes, or world heroes, or world figures, such as a Joe Lewis, such as a Jesse Owens, such as a Wilbur Rudolph, such as a Billie Jean King, such as a uh, Bay Dietrich and Zaharias, such as a Hank Aaron, such as a Kurt Flood, such as a Jackie Robbins, such as a Muhammad Ali. For the people of those generations, for the most part, they're dead. So, I mean, those people who have the opportunity to really talk to us about how great those athletes were, what they meant to our generation, if you're speaking about a Babe Ruth, if we're speaking about, um, uh, as I mentioned before, a Jesse Owens, if we're speaking about any of those type of people, that generation, that era in life is now gone. So we don't have the, we, we don't have the um, ability to go ahead and get from where they're coming from how much those illustrious athletes meant to their lives, which meant to the lives of generations coming afterwards. It's going to become a period of time where LeBron James and a Michael Jordan and a Kobe Bryant and a Usain Bolt and a Roger Federer and a Novak Djokovic and an Anderson Silva and a Canelo Alvarez and a Julio Cesar Chavez and all of these great athletes are going to be nothing more than the thing that you can see in YouTube and YouTube documentaries. Because people who will be able to really give you a, a, a situation in terms of this is what he meant to our generation and this is what he meant to not only our generation but the impactful legacy that he has on generations 10, 20, 50, 100 years down the line like Jesse Owens, like a Muhammad Ali, like a Sugar Ray Robinson, like a Larry Doby, like all of these great American Bill Russell icons. They're no longer going to be able to say those things. So for me... When you're speaking about Roger Federer, when you're speaking about a guy who, for me, is the last chain in the link. Hey, man, I'm 53 years old. I don't got time to be, you know, fanboying anybody else. 
you know, my heroes growing up or my idols growing up or the people that I talked about and shaped the person that I am, not just as a sports fan, but also played a little bit of a role in the type of person that I am. Of course, the majority coming from my parents and my friends and the environment I grew up in. But in terms of the people or in terms of the athletes that I idolized growing up when I was an impressionable youth, and we're speaking about the Len Biases, and we're speaking about the Bernard Kings, and we're speaking about the Muhammad Ali's, and we're speaking about the Kirby Puckets, and we're speaking about the John McEnroe's, and we're speaking about the Sugar Ray Leonard's, and we're speaking about um, the uh, uh, Dave Stewart's of the world. You know, when we're speaking about those guys, look, I'm too old, and the Magic Johnson, and everybody who played for Georgetown University, and the King Brothers, and... Uh, John Thompson, the coach for Georgetown University. My my fandom, my my the, the way that they influenced me as a youth, of course, is a lot different than I would be or than me being an adult. Because I'm older, I'm wiser, I'm more mature, I got more things on my plate, I got more responsibility, I'm just older, that's just the way of life. So for me, being the age that I am, and really it stopped, I guess you could say when Magic Johnson maybe retired as such, for me to be truly a fanboy, that that's over now. I don't woo and ah and ask for autographs or take pictures with, don't do that anymore. Because now I'm at the age where, look, man, you know, when I was growing up, I mean, what, what, what will I look like? How foolish will I look like? How ridiculous would I look like if I'm fanboying a LeBron James, or I'm fanboying a Luka Doncic, or I'm fanboying a Josh Allen, or I'm fanboying a Patrick Mahomes, or I'm fanboying a Mike Trout, or I'm fanboying uh, one of these type of people. Man, these guys are old enough to be my kids, or at least younger brothers. So for me, it's, it's, it's different. Enjoy what they're doing, love what they're doing, respect what they're doing, but in terms of shaping me, molding me, giving me ideas, this, that, and the other, way past that, far past that. The last person, the last athlete to really have an effect on me and make me a better person and have an influence on the type of person I'm going to be, blah, 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 is Roger Federer. And with Roger Federer retiring, that's it. That's it. And I was always, Roger Federer is my man. Roger Federer, that, that, that's, I wouldn't call him my hero because I'm too old to have a quote-unquote hero who's an athlete, but yet still someone who I admire, someone who I look up to, someone who I still have a little fanboy crush in me, yeah, that's gone. <laughs> He's retiring now. And uh, if you take a look at the totality, not just of his career, but of his life in general, now look, I don't know Roger Federer personally. I've never hung out with Roger Federer. I don't know anything personal about him because I never had those opportunities to, to really get to know him, of course. I know maybe behind closed doors and with the camera off and away from the spotlight, he's a raging maniac. I don't know. But the type of person that he presents to me and the public, I mean, you know, we, we speak about athletes behaving badly and not doing the right things and we glorify uh, the athletes who are chumps and who are criminals or who are scumbags and we kind of make a path for these guys because they can they can they can hit a baseball or they can throw a baseball really fast or they can kick a football real far or they can catch a football or they can run a football or they can shoot a basketball or they can punch somebody in the face harder than anybody else and knock them out or they can put somebody in the anaconda choke and say yeah yeah and some of their weaknesses as human beings as characters who are contributing to society and being true role models we kind of glossed it over because of their athletic prowess and their athletic achievements well, Roger Federer is the is one of the few athletes 
who really, for the most part, as of right now, for what from what we know of, he doesn't have any skeletons. The tell-all documentary of Roger Federer is not going to be, you know, is not going to be a, a situation where you're going to have to have the chapter of, well, he did this to his wife, or he wasn't faithful, or he was a jerk, or he treated people with disrespect, or he was an egomaniac, or he uh, looked down on people, or he was rude and abrasive, and or, or he was a guy who was entitled and didn't do anything for anybody and only cared about himself, or all of these other things that, you know, when... They write the books about even the greatest, even the people that I greatly admire, truly admire. And they speak about their shortcomings and they speak about their foibles as human beings. For the most part, that's not really anywhere near what Roger Federer is. And as I mentioned before, in a day of, in a, in a day of age when people are moaning and groaning and whining and complaining and expecting athletes to raise their kids, a.k.a. be role models... And if they mess up, if they show that they're human, then all of a sudden they bring in the, well, you know, this guy's a role model and my kid looks up to him and how dare he do this and how dare he get into trouble and all this type of nonsense. Because parents today are too lazy. Parents today are too ignorant. Parents today are too short-sighted. Parents today are just not ready to become true parents. They want to pass it off to someone they see on a television screen. And then when the news is reported and TMZ comes out about something that this person does of the slightest of default... Then all of a sudden they throw in the, I can't believe it, this guy's a role model, he knows better, he's a role model to the kids, he ought to know better, blah, 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 bullshit, fuck you, raise your kids and fuck yourself with that, uh, with that type of attitude. It's nice to see at least there's one guy out there, and there's many others, there's one guy out there who's not only a fantastic, incredible uh, performer and person of his, of his profession, which is tennis, but also just a great of a guy, uh, off the court when you're speaking about Roger Federer. So, man, I hope with all of this, with me saying about Roger Federer being a great guy and everything, I hope nothing comes out about him cheating on his wife and beating up on Merca and not being a father to his children. But uh, for the most part, I'm going to uh, I'm going to stick with that, Roger Federer, my man. Congratulations, special dedication to the last of my heroes, Roger Federer, in terms of the athlete and influencing me and this, that, and the other. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Okay, all right, because I'm recording this now after the Green Bay Packers beat the Chicago Bears 27-10. to 10. So let me go ahead and speak about the NFL. It's only week two, so I uh, know there's not too many things that we can talk about in terms of, oh my gosh and golly wow, What's going to be happening here in terms of the long-term ramifications of the season if we're speaking about some of the performances of today? And if we speak about from an entertainment value, when we speak about from a shock value, when we speak about from a short-term type of value in terms of what happened today, and we speak about the New York Jets comeback over the Baltimore or over the Cleveland Browns, when we speak about Miami victory over the Baltimore Ravens when we speak about the Arizona Cardinals coming back and beating the Las Vegas Raiders 29-23 in overtime. But when we speak about uh, the performance of the Detroit Lions who look like a much better team than they did last season, not saying that they're going to win the Super Bowl, not saying that they're going to shock the world and represent the NFC in the championship game, but uh, they look, the fighting Dan Campbells look a lot better than they did last year were competitive against the Philadelphia Eagles who are expected to uh, compete for the NFC East division and then the victory today over my Washington commanders 
uh, put them at one and one. Um, Jacksonville, when you talk about their victory, when you speak about Trevor Lawrence, his above averages perform his above above average performances against the Indianapolis Colts continue. And then you take a look at the Colts, who are o one and one, getting beat like they did to Jacksonville, and then tying the Houston Texans, who are being coached by the Black Santa Claus, Black Saint Nick, um, Lovey Smith. Two games in, but so far Indianapolis. Ugh. You take a look at the Cincinnati Bengals falling to o and two. All of these things we can speak about. I don't do overreaction Monday, this, that, and the other, but. You know, those games were interesting. Those games were intriguing. Those games were exciting. Some of the, some of the um, games that I just mentioned. But you know, when you take a look, but maybe when you have down the road type of ramification because the games and the teams that were playing against each other are going to be in a situation possibly, maybe, or projected to be in terms of having some type of say, something having. Uh, uh, having some type of impact on playoffs and competing for division championships and conference championships and Super Bowl and such. I mean, we, we, we have to start off here on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast with yours truly, Wendell Wallace. We, we have to start off with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers victory over the um, over the New Orleans Saints 20-10. to 10. And I, I guess you can kind of say that... Uh, for the win for Tampa Bay, this was the best kind of football game possible for them to win, right? When you're speaking about beating a worthy opponent in New Orleans while doing it in an ugly, workmanlike, tough, gritty way. And so the question, they won 20 to 20, 20 to 10. So the question is, moving forward, if the Buccaneers are going to be true contenders as far as winning Super Bowls and all those type of things, the things that they are expected to do, to be competing for, who's going to have to have a more impactful and responsible uh, uh, impact on the team? Is it going to be the defense? Or is it going to be Tom Brady and the offense? Now, now when I say these things, don't get it twisted on me, man. I'm not talking about when I say who's going to have to have a bigger impact. This is not another way of me saying who's going to have to carry the team. Because when you break it down in those situations, it always means that the one unit is going to have to be so supremely superior than the others that basically, yes, they are going to be carrying this team because the other uh, part of the football team, be it the offense, defense, special teams, whatever, is going to be too inept to win a Super Bowl just on a level playing field in terms of if the defense is going to be 50% responsible, the offense can't be 50% responsible because the offense is so inept, blah, blah. I'm not saying that about the, the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Even at the age of 45, even even if there's going to be a situation where, as I mentioned before in my last podcast, Tom Brady is going to hit the wall, he's going to hit the wall hard, and none of us are going to see it coming. But when you take a look at this offense for... Tampa Bay and then you take a look at how the defense had been playing the first two games of the season against the Dallas Cowboys and the New Orleans Saints when you're speaking about the Tampa Bay defense are we going to start to see a pattern here where at the games and the season gets longer and the injuries start to mount and Tampa Bay on the offensive side of the field has already been suffering a lot of injuries when you're speaking about uh, the loss of Ryan Jensen when you're speaking about Julio Jones and 
Chris Godwin not playing today, when you're speaking about some of the under, other injuries that they had, is this going to be a situation where it's going to have to be, hey, look, man, you know, Tom Brady, we can't expect, expect Tom Brady to have the type of season that he did last year, or even have the type of season that he had throughout his short career with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This is going to be after, this is going to have to be a situation where the defense is going to have to be really, really good, and the offense is just going to have to be a little bit above average. Not mediocre, but average. If we're grading here, if the offense is going to... Maybe the offense, the... Maybe the... The offense should be somewhere around, but what we're looking at here, maybe 74, 75, that's a solid C. While the defense, the expectations for the defense, then is going to have to be somewhere like a 90 to 93, 94 to get them an A, to get them across the finish line and make them truly Super Bowl contenders. What I'm saying is that, look, it's only two games in. Tom Brady missed a portion of the preseason. But the way Tom Brady's playing right now, this could be rust. This could be rust. And, and it's not like Tom Brady is playing badly. But to expect him to have the type of season that he's had since he came to Tampa Bay for this season at the age of 45 in his 23rd season and some of the loss of his uh, offensive linemen and the injuries to his uh, wide receiving crew, that Leonard Fournette and that defense is going to have to step up a little bit more. Is this going to be a situation where that should be a requirement as we go along in the season? The fact that Tom is not going to be able to bail us out. Tom is not going to be able to save us. That is now going to have to be a reality. Now we're going to have to find another way other than Tom Brady throwing the ball around the field 50 to 55 times or 48 to 45 times. All of a sudden now, Tom Brady leading the league in pass attempts is no longer going to be feasible if the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to um, be true contenders for the NFC Championship and for the Super Bowl. So the defense has played well. The defense is flying around. Todd Bowles has done a masterful job, as he always has with the defense two games in against uh, New Orleans. The uh, Buccaneers caused five turnovers. They made Jameis Winston look like Jameis Winston of Tampa Bay when he was playing for the Buccaneers in a negative type of way. Being, uh, being intercepted three times. Again, five turnovers in the final two quarters. They turned that into 17 points. Defense against New Orleans gave up a total of 308 yards on 66 plays and 13 drives for the game. And again, on offense, the Buccaneers are still con- inconsistent. Played the game. Chris Godwin was out. Julio Jones was out. Missing left, left tackle Donovan Smith. His backup Josh Wells weren't available. Mike Evans led the receivers in yards with 61, but 41 of those came on one play, and he was rejected early in the fourth quarter. So, as I mentioned before, Brady's been average at best. 18 of 34, 190 yards. That's only 5.6 yards per pass of what he had against the Saints on Sunday. Offense scored only one touchdown and 13 drive for 0-1 in the red zone. Leonard Fournette being stopped on the fourth, fourth uh Fourth down run. The Bucks have scored just two offensive touchdowns in their two games. The five-yard Brady touchdown pass to Mike Evans in, good, in uh, week one. And then against Dallas, a 28-yarder uh, to uh, Brashard Perryman um, and on Sunday. But other than that, that's it. And Brady's, what, 60%, 400 yards in two games? 
So it'll be interesting moving forward what exactly is going to be happening with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on offense. Of course, they will get better as the season rolls along. But then again, how much of the responsibility is going to be put on the defense to get Tampa Bay to where they want to go as opposed to the offense? Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Okay, the most eye-popping, incredible performance of the day was uh, Tua Tungabailoa, the Miami Dolphins quarterback, an incredible comeback as the Dolphins came down, came back to win after being down 35-14 at the end of the third quarter and then early in the fourth quarter for the win. Tua threw for six. He threw for two interceptions, but six touchdown passes. Completed 36-50 for 469 yards. Damn, four of those TD passes and 189 yards of those passes came in the fourth quarter. Tyreek Hill had the best week of any of the big offseason acquisitions. When you're speaking about him catching 11 passes for 190 yards and two touchdowns, including touchdown receptions of 48 and 60 yards within the span of two minutes and 28 seconds. Jaden Waddle caught the go-ahead touchdown with 14 seconds left. He was targeted 19 times by uh, Tua, caught 11 passes for 171 yards. The Miami defense, off, after starting off slowly, Got better at the game below and along. Lamar Jackson had a, had a 79-yard touchdown round. But after that, the defense for the Dolphins held Baltimore to just 89 yards on 18 plays and three points. And the Ravens finished with only 33 yards rushing from their running backs. I don't know what's going to be happening in terms of, look, this is just one game. Wonderful, fantastic, beautiful, awesome, incredible, fantastic, wonderful. Woohoo! When you're speaking about the performance by by Tua. And, of course, him throwing for almost 500 yards and six touchdowns is not going to be something that's going to be expected of him on a weekly basis. But, man, this guy, and and a couple of those touchdown passes, I mean, you know, a a, a high school sophomore could have thrown those touchdown passes. The the fact that uh, Hill was so wide open on the busted coverages from the Ravens secondary, but man, I tell you, I don't know what to make of Tua after this. Now, now, what should we what what should we make of this when you're speaking about the performance of Tua Tungavailoa, a show me type of performance? I'm not going to get too high on this. It was an awesome game. It was a fantastic game. It was a great game by Tua. But if this is one of these career-defining games, or this is the game where he turned the corner, or this was the game that uh, solidified the um solidified him as being the franchise quarterback. This is the game that all of a sudden Tua turned into a quarterback that could lead a team to a championship, lead a team to a division title. I'm not going to say that against the Baltimore Ravens. He had a good game. He had a great game. He had a fantastic game. He had an awesome game. But still, man, there's a lot more football to be played, and there's a lot more interceptions. There's a lot more bad decisions. There's a lot more up and down play that I think Tua is going to give us. So before we start speaking about in those totality type of terms and whereof he's going to be the guy moving forward, he deserves the big contract and all these type of things and justify the Miami Dolphins selecting him over Justin Herbert, who was selected by the Los Angeles Chargers and played tough and gritty in the Thursday night loss for the Chargers against the Kansas City football team. Before we start all of a sudden elevating Tua, and to maybe the top 15, top 12, top 10 quarterbacks, not just only for this year, but in years to come. 
and his generation of playing football in the NFL. Need to see a little bit more. Great start, wonderful start, awesome uh, uh, start, awesome game today. But then again, it's week two. And a lot of that, you could say, again, was busted coverages by the Baltimore Ravens secondary, which allowed one of the greatest athletes in the game today, Tyreek Hill, to do what he did and get behind the defense for those two long touchdown uh, uh, passing uh, passing receptions. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. I will say this. We'll find out a lot about what's going on with Tua and the Miami Dolphins. Are they for real, this, that, and the other? And now the Dolphins are 2-0. They beat New England in week one, and they beat the uh, Ravens coming back from such a large deficit. What does that mean moving forward? We'll, we'll find out more against the Buffalo Bills next Sunday than we have the first two games of the season for Miami combined. Because if you remember the two games last season between between um, Miami and Buffalo, was not close, was not close, was not close. Buffalo beat Miami by a combined score of 61-11, to and I think one game beat them 35 to nothing. So we'll see what happens. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us speaking about what's happening, speaking about what's going on in the world of sports. Yes, I know that we're obligated to speak about the Dallas Cowboys, the Dallas Cowboys. What's going on with the Dallas Cowboys? Has Mike McCarthy been fired yet? Dallas avoids more worthless, nonsensical distractions with their win against Cincinnati, uh, 20-17. to Look, no controversy needed here. No quarterback controversy needed in Dallas. Think of something else to come up with. Making just his second career start, Dallas quarterback Cooper Rush completed 19-31 passes for 235 yards. The first quarter touchdown pass to Noah Brown led a final-minute drive that ended in a game-winning 50-yard field goal. According to the Stats and Information Department at ESPN, Rush became the fifth quarterback since 1966 to lead a game-winning drive in the fourth quarter or overtime of his first two career starts. The others were Houston's TJ Yates in 2011. Oh, shit. Seattle's John Kitna in 2007-2008. Oh, shit. Minnesota's Wade Wilson in 1983-84. Oh, shit. And Chicago's Virgil Carter back in 1968. Such luminous athletes and quarterbacks that Cooper Rush joined today with his accomplishment against the Cincinnati Bengals. Dallas's first two possessions on offense accumulated 150 yards, and after that, Dallas had just 159 yards on the next seven drives, but they won this game with defense and playing almost clean football, right? So when I speak about playing almost clean football, look, they had one football, but for the most part, didn't make the tragic, didn't make the costly, didn't make the game-breaking type of turnover, or they didn't make create, or they didn't have a multitude of turnovers. For a team that has been plagued by injuries, or excuse me, by penalties. They only had five today. Last week against Tampa Bay, they had 10, so they cut that in half. All right, way to go. If you're going to be ripping Mike McCarthy, give him a little bit of credit for that. The the defense, when you're speaking about Dallas, allows Cincinnati only 254 yards and 67 plays and 10 drives, allowed the Bengals four yards per pass, Joe Burrow had 200, excuse me, had 199 yards on 36 pass attempts. They sacked Burrow six times, held the Bengals under 90 yards rushing on 25 attempts. Micah Parsons was all over the place. 
the defense was really good. Now, because remember when I was speaking about it here on my last podcast, Wendell's World of Sports podcast with yours truly, Wendell Wallace. Remember when we were speaking about, or remember when I was talking to you about, remember when I was pontificating about, man, you know, with, um, with Dak Prescott being out for four, six, eight weeks and Cooper Rush coming into the, you know, coming to the rescue as far as being the starting quarterback is concerned. What's going to be the, um, what's going to be the barometer or what's going to be the expectations for, for Cooper Rush for him being the quarterback? And we just gave the best case scenario in terms of what happens if Dak Prescott is going to be out for four games. What should be the expectations for Cooper Rush and the Dallas Cowboys moving forward? And we were speaking about this. I was speaking about this after their loss on Sunday night the week before this to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So I was thinking, man, what exactly should the expectations be for Cooper Rush moving forward? And not only that, the responsibility that not just him, but all the players in the Dallas Cowboys organization have in terms of kind of lifting the the, the heat off of the backside, off the ass of Mike McCarthy. Because this could be a situation through no fault of his own. If the Dallas Cowboys would falter without Dak Prescott and Cooper Rush doesn't get it done. And in four weeks, you could be looking at the situation when Dak Prescott comes back that the Cowboys are going to be sitting there at one and four and looking up at the New York Giants and looking up at my Washington Commanders and looking up at the Philadelphia Eagles, which would mean that for the most part, it would end the opportunity for Mike McCarthy to even try to prove that he needed to be the coach past the 2022 season. So all of that stuff was sitting on the plate. All of that stuff was being baked. All of that stuff was being talked about. All of that stuff was being written about in terms of this game for the Cowboys and Cooper Rush and the defense and the running game and the wide receivers and everything and all the criticism and all everything that was being discussed in the negative terms, Mike McCarthy and Kellen Moore, the offensive coordinator, all of this bullshit, all of this nonsense, all of this doom and gloom stuff that was being talked about and the lack of skill players that the Dallas Cowboys have and the lack of imagination and balance on offense and the penalties and the game management and all these type of things. And now Dak is going to be out and he's going to be coming in with Cooper Rush and what is that going to mean and doom and gloom and all these type of things. Well, at least for one week, man, one week is like, woo. we don't have to discuss that bullshit. We don't have to discuss that nonsense. We don't have to be coming into this week of preparation on a negative note. It was a good victory. It was a solid victory. It was a momentum building victory for the Dallas Cowboys. So as I mentioned before, is there a possibility? Now we'll know about, we'll know a lot more as far as the discussion that we're going to have in terms of could the Dallas Cowboys be vying for first place when Dak comes back? We'll know more about that with the Philadelphia Eagles when they play the Minnesota Vikings on Monday Night Football. But if you take a look at the upcoming two games that the Dallas Cowboys have, and you're taking a look at about them playing the New York Giants and my Washington Commanders, even with Cooper Rush as their quarterback, there's still a scenario 
where they could be either tied for first place, one game behind in first place, and coming back five or six weeks, or week five or six into the NFL season, you guys get Dak Prescott back for the Cowboys. It's it's right there for them. It's right there. And and, and then what the, what is the narrative going to be? How quickly will the narrative be on Mike McCarthy and his coaching uh, tenure with the Cowboys and those type of things? So these next couple of weeks in this small sample is going to be very interesting to follow when we speak about what's happening, what's going on with the Dallas Cowboys. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Ooh, tough break for the uh, San Francisco 49ers. Um, Trey Lance, quarterback Trey Lance, fractured his ankle, will miss the entire year. He suffered a right right ankle injury in the first quarter. And 49ers head coach Kyle Shanahan said after the game that the second-year quarterback has a broken right ankle and will need season-ending surgery. Season-ending surgery. Wow. Damn. That sucks, man. Because we really didn't know which direction Trey Lance was going. He really didn't even have an opportunity to show us exactly how good he was. Look, you could talk about the you could talk about the preseason and you could talk about the first game where they played the Chicago Bears basically in a in a typhoon. But uh, you know, you really didn't get a good estimate about Trey Lance. It's so early in the season, it's so early in his career. Were you gonna make any type of uh you know proclamations concerning his being able to get the job done or not just based on that small evidence of play that small sliver of play so the question then for the 49ers moving forward is yeah it's terrible it's horrible it's awful that Lance is going to miss the season because of injury but did the San Francisco 49ers Super Bowl chances just improve with that injury because if you Think about it. The 49ers under Shanahan were 8-29 and record-wise with any other quarterback not named Jimmy Garoppolo. Now, I, I, I understand. I understand. You got defense. You got the running game. Got it. Got it. I'm not trying to put Jimmy Garoppolo up there in the same sentence as far as responsibility is concerned with uh, Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers or... Russell Wilson when he was in Seattle or Kyler Murray in Arizona or Lamar Jackson in Baltimore or I'm, I'm Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen and Justin Herbert. I'm, I'm, I'm not putting, I'm not putting Jimmy Garoppolo in that category. But yet and still, hey, 8 and 29, you got someone else other than Jimmy G? What's going to be happening with that? Basically, do they have the defense? Basically, do they have the complementary parts? Basically, do they still have the running game despite injury to the running back? Basically, are they going to have Debu Samu just pick it up another level for them to even be viable to win, possibly have the possibility to of winning another championship? Because it's nice that um, Jimmy G knows the players and he has confidence in them and they have confidence in him and Shanahan. He knows the playbook and he knows the system and he knows the culture and he knows the locker room and he knows all these things. He's a very knowledgeable guy when it comes to the San Francisco 49ers team and all this kind of nonsense. But as a quarterback, he's still limited. 
As a quarterback, he's still a type of guy that is more of a game manager that can just go along for the ride to Super Bowlville and not be the person driving the bus, not be the person picking the person up and being the Uber to take them to a championship. He's just the passenger. He's not the driver. He's not the conductor. But yet still, from what we saw of Trey Lance, while we're speaking long-term to say that, yeah, let's go ahead and start the maturation of Trey Lance becoming a franchise quarterback this year, I think for short term, to get the most out of a team that had the chance to win a Super Bowl, you go with Jimmy G. So, in a way, in a situation, this kind of uh, is going to help both parties. Because this could be a situation where, hey man, you know, Jimmy G does a thing and proves to be a starting quarterback, and by the time Trey Lance comes back, he can go somewhere else and uh, be a quarterback for someone else and make a boatload of money and, uh, Prove the prove uh, Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch and the uh, rest of the 49ers organization wrong with that. We will see on that. But a uh, big blow for the 49ers, but a situation where it could be like, hey man, you know, this could be a this could be a deal where, you know, we could uh <laughs> we could be improving our chances or we just improve our chances to uh, get to the Super Bowl. I wanted to get into here on Wendell's World of Sports the podcast with yours truly Wendell Wallace. I wanted to start with the 0 and two teams so far. When you speak about Cincinnati and Atlanta and Carolina and the Las Vegas Raiders, you know, because on the TV broadcast, they were speaking about, you know, you know, teams that started off 0-2, teams that started off 0-2, teams that started off 0-2. Well, according to Stathead, since the merger in 1970, there have been 400 teams start the NFL season with a record of 0-2. Of those 400 teams, only 38 have reached the playoffs. That's 9.5% homes of 0-2 teams that have made the playoffs. And since I gave you that stat, teams that have started the season 0-2 made the playoffs in 2018. The Houston Texans, the Seattle Seahawks made the playoffs starting off the season 0-2. Houston finished that year 11-5. The Seahawks ended that year 10-6. And both of them lost in the first round, the wild card round of the playoffs. Since then, there have been 27 teams that have gone 0-2 to start the season. None of them have reached the playoffs. And only the 2020 uh, Dolphins, with uh, Brian Flores as the coach, where they looked absolutely abysmal. I think they lost their first, like, I don't know what they lost. They lost lost their first four or five games in a row. And the 2021 Indianapolis Colts had a winning record after starting the season 0-2. So which of these teams... We'll have the best chance if you're speaking about Cincinnati, if you're speaking about Las Vegas, if you're speaking about Atlanta and Carolina, which one of those teams is going to have the best chance to make the playoffs? Of course, if you're taking a look, I'm going to go with Cincinnati. I'm going to go with Vegas. Um, I think Vegas just has way too much talent on offense. You take a look at the next few games where next week the Raiders play at Tennessee, then they play Denver, who's struggling, by the way. I mean, I think the Las Vegas Raiders are a lot better than a bunch of teams who are on one and one Denver being one of them. So you have Tennessee, then you have Denver, then you have at Kansas City, then you have a bye if you're speaking about the Raiders' next few games. And after the bye, they play Houston in the Black Santa Claus known as Lovey Smith. Then they are at New Orleans and then at Jacksonville. Another team, I think, I think Cincinnati, they play at the Jets, Miami, then at Baltimore, then at New Orleans, Atlanta, then at Cleveland, those are the two teams I would pick. Now, 
if Joe Burrow is going to be continued to be sacked at the rate that he's going, um, the, the, there's going to be some real issues. There are going to be some real, real issues concerning that because the Cincinnati Bengals put a whole lot of money and a whole lot of assets into their offensive line because last season, Joe Burrow damn near got killed uh, with the offensive line that he had. And so far through this season, in the first week of the season, Pittsburgh sacked them seven times and then six times against the Dallas Cowboys. You have two teams when you're speaking about Pittsburgh and Dallas that have pretty strong defenses, but I don't give a damn how strong your defenses are. You can't be allowing that many sacks on your quarterback. So that would be my one worry for Cincinnati. But when you have a quarterback like Joe Burrow and you throwing to a guy like Jamar Chase, I think that if there's anybody that can turn that around to make the playoffs, it's going to be the Cincinnati Bengals. And in the West, even though it's going to be a lot more difficult because you're speaking about one of the best, if not the best divisions in football, that I think the Raiders can also go ahead and do that. So the NFL season through week two, it is rocking, it is rolling. Um, Storylines are being set, new storylines are being made, exciting games, but through two games, still too early to really make any type of uh, prognostication on who's going to do what, where, when, and how. But uh, I enjoyed it. Enjoyed the uh, weekend. Enjoyed Sunday. Can't wait for Monday to uh, watch the two games on Monday Night Football. NFL is rolling, and I'm rolling right along with it. Last segment of the podcast, last segment of the program, welcome back to Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us, I am putting this down, the time right now is about 11.45 Pacific Standard Time, which means it's going to be almost 3 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, which means it's going to be almost 9 p.m. Hawaiian time. Got the opportunity to be going up tomorrow. I'm going to be staying. I'm going to be staying up in Mesquite tomorrow. One of the reasons why I'm putting this out now is that uh, I decided to uh, stay in Mesquite on Monday. I'm not really in the mood to uh, drive all the way up and drive all the way back home tomorrow after school. So I'm just going to stay up there. The girls' soccer team out there is playing. They got a pretty good team and. Uh, so I'll go out there and uh, see what I can do to keep out of the uh, hotel room before the walls start closing in on me and I start going stir-crazy and jump off the balcony. So looking for things to do in such a small town like Mesquite. Not too many things to do in a small town like Mesquite, but I was invited to watch the girls' soccer game tomorrow. So I'm going to uh, go ahead and do that, and that's going to take up a lot of my time. So by the time I get back and watch Monday Night Raw, I'll have I will have spent very little time in my hotel room which is going to cost me like $30 so yeah it's a $30 hotel room so you get my drift yeah not 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 a room not a hotel not a place where 
you know, you can just lounge. I get out of work at one thirty, so one thirty till whatever. I'm, I'm not going to be spending four or five, six hours in a hotel room. It would drive me nuts. So at least watching the girls' soccer game, both the JV and the varsity, will give me something to do other than to uh, stare at the walls and watch a couple of channels and do all those type of things. So I'm going to be uh, staying up there tomorrow. So none of you motherfuckers come over here and rob my house because if you do, I will shoot your ass. I will put a cat in your ass. Wendell's World is... I'm ridiculous. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. All right. Let me go ahead and get this done. In the NBA, Phoenix Suns owner Robert Sarver was suspended and fined $10 million after an investigation found conduct clearly violated the workplace standards. The investigation detailing an 18-year pattern of misogyny, race, uh, sexism, and abuse inside the Phoenix Suns franchise. The NBA announced the punishment this past Tuesday, said the investigation found that during his time with the Suns, and Mercury, Phoenix Mercury, that the WNBA team, Sarver used the N-word or said nigger at least five times when recounting the statements of others. What the league said in a statement was there are there also were instances of inequitable conduct toward female employees, including sex-related comments and inappropriate comments on employees' appearances. Oy, yay, yay. What the league sources told ESPN, Baxter Holmes and Adrian Wojnarowski, was Sarver was unwilling and unaccepting of the idea that he deserved a one-year suspension and a $10 million fine for his behavior. Here, here's the interesting part. This is, this is the great part, right? So he was unaccepting of the idea that he deserved a one-year suspension and a $10 million fine based on the investigation uh, that was found of him being basically a scumbag of a human being, being an being a just a horrible human being racist all these type of things right so he was unaccepting of those ideas but then he was sitting there then he made a statement through the sun's sons which read while i disagree with some of the particulars of the nba report i would like to apologize to my for my words and actions that offended our employees well if you're denying all these things what are you apologizing for you're apologizing for your words and actions that offended your employees what words and actions were those because if it wasn't dealing with anything sexist or racist then what are we speaking about i take full responsible responsibility for what i've done wait a minute you have just said that you are not accepting of the punishment that was given to you for the things that you have done that you're taking full responsibility for and before this investigation truly got the legs and truly came out with these findings, you were denying everything. You were, you were saying I only used to, only said the word nigger once. I didn't say it over and over again. I've never said that word. That word is not in my vocabulary, all this type of stuff. So what are, what are you talking about, Robert? Where are we going with this? I take full responsibility for what I have done. What have you done? I am caused, I am sorry for causing this pain. And these errors in judgment are not consistent with my personal philosophy or my values. So even though these things that you have done, which you are fighting, which you say that the punishment for is too harsh, and before that you said you didn't even do, you take responsibility for it, then you said that you're sorry for causing this pain, and these errors in judgment are not consistent with my personal philosophy or my values. What are you talking about? He went on. I accept the consequences of the NBA's decision. No, you didn't. 
This moment is an opportunity for me to demonstrate a capacity to learn and grow as we continue to build a working culture where every employee feels comfortable and valued. Come on, man. What the hell? <laughs> That's a bullshit. 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 During Sarver's tenure, the investigation found that he used the N-word, or shall I say nigger. He said nigger at least five times in front of his employees. And he said that he hated diversity. He engaged in instances of inequitable conduct toward female employees, made many sex-related comments in the workplace, made inappropriate comments about the physical appearance of female employees and other women on several occasions, engaged in appropriate, inappropriate physical conduct toward male employees. He once told a female employee, you've never seen anything this big for preparing for a shower at the team facility, and he wasn't speaking about the soap or the washcloth. Exposed his genitals to make to a male employee who was on his knees in front of Sarver performing a fitness check. Good Lord. Um, what else did the investigation found? He engaged in demeaning and harsh treatment of employees, including by yelling and cursing at them. Well, that that is like you know that's that's not horrible. I mean, I, I, I don't think, I would like to have a little bit more context in terms of demeaning and harsh treatment of employees, including yelling and cursing at them. I, I would like to have a little bit more con context in that. Uh, let me see. The release noted that the investigation made no findings that Mr. Sarver's workplace misconduct was motivated by racial or gender bias animus. What the hell? Are you, what, what are we talking about? I, I think if, a white person or a non-black person says nigger. Um, I think there's some type of, I, I, it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard for someone not to claim that they're racist. They're running around saying the term nigger. That's, that's kind of, you know, if I'm running around calling female bitches and whores, that's kind of, I can't come back and say, no, I love women. What are you talking about? I think they're great. I think they're wonderful. I think that the Me Too movement is awesome. I think them bitches need to get everything that they've got. What? That doesn't make that doesn't make any sense. You know, you know what I'm talking about? If I'm like, I can't call someone of Latino or I can't call a Mexican a spick and then say, Oh, I love Mexicans. What are you talking about? What I can do, of course, is if I'm a certain skin color and I'm a certain age and I'm like full of bullshit, I can come down the escalators of my, uh, of my hotel and talk about Mexico sending their worst criminals, and I could talk about building a wall and having Mexico pay for it, and in this country, there's enough people who are stupid enough to believe that and then vote for them as a president, vote for him as a president, but for the most part, no. I can't say that. Most people can't say that, and then say, what are you talking about? I love Hispanics. They're just the greatest. So, during his suspension, Sarver may not be present at any NBA or WNBA team facility, including any office, arena, or practice facility, attend or participate in any NBA or WNBA event or activity, including games, practices, or business partner activity, represent the Suns or Mercury in any public or private capacity, have any involvement with the business or basketball operations of the Suns or Mercury, have any involvement in the business governance or activities of either the NBA or WNBA, including attending or participating in meetings of either league boards and their associated board committees. So there you go. Look, man, everybody's getting all upset. 
everybody is just like, you know, up in arms. How can this guy only get one year? How can this guy only be fined $10 million? Which, when you're a billionaire, come on now, $10 million for real? How can this guy not not receive the same punishment that Donald Sterling got when he was banned from the NBA? How can Robert Sarver get a slap on the wrist for basically for almost two decades acting like a troll and acting like a subhuman? How how can this be possible? Now, NBA Commissioner Adam Silver was has taken a lot of negative heat for the punishment and his response to it and what. Silver said in a press conference that the possibility of banning Sarver from the league was never mentioned. And he said that there was no discussion around the, around the process of removing him. That was like, man, are you serious? Are you serious? So what you're trying to say is, and let's be real here. Let's keep it real that Adam Silver works for the NBA owners. I mean, nothing kind of goes by in terms of punishment or anything like that without the approval of the league owners. It, it makes me laugh out loud. And I'm not saying this guy's a great commissioner. He's made plenty of mistakes. But it makes me laugh out loud when people are screaming and yelling at Roger Goodell for some of the things that went down, some of the decisions that he's made, some of the uh, the way where he's been placed in this whole Colin Kaepernick situation and the kneeling and the uh, lack of minority opportunities for NFL head coaches. It, it, makes, it makes me laugh out loud at the ignorance of some people where they lame the majority of the blame on the commissioner, Roger Goodell. Like, there's a situation, if you just want to throw in one example about Colin Kaepernick, like for some like, 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 it, I find it absolutely hilarious that, you know, like, there's like 15, 16, 18, 20, 25 owners who are just dying to have Colin Kaepernick on their team. And the only reason why they don't is because Roger Goodell is telling them, no, no, no. Hilarious. Like, like, somehow people are so stupid to think that somehow, some way, it's Roger Goodell's fault that Colin Kaepernick is not in the NFL. That somehow, some way, it's Roger Goodell's fault that. There aren't any more black head coaches in the NFL. Like somehow, someway, Stan Kroenke of the Los Angeles Rams was just dying, just dying to get, find himself an African-American black head coach. But Roger Goodell came in and said, no, you don't. And then Stan Kroenke, who's worth, I don't know, 500 quadrillion billion dollars, said, oh, okay, Roger, I'll still sign your paycheck, but okay, whatever you say, bullshit. That's the same thing with Adam Silver. This is not a situation where the NBA owners, Mark Cuban and these guys, Ted Leonsis and these guys are sitting there going, God damn, can you believe that bullshit that Adam Silver only gave Sarver a one-year ban? We should have, we should have suspended him for life. I would have suspended him for life. But what Rod, what, uh, what, uh, Adam says, Adam goes, no, no, this is a situation where it's kind of look, kind of, Adam Silver earns a nice chunk of change. From the NBA, just like Roger Goodell, who I think is making like forty-something million dollars a year from the NFL, that's his job. His job is to sit up there and take the slings and arrows from the public who are too stupid to really realize who he works for. Same thing with the NBA. This wasn't Adam Silver's decision to suspend Robert Sarver only a year and find him only ten million dollars. That wasn't just his decision. That wasn't his decision. That was the decision of the owner, or at the very least, shall I say. The um, the decision not to ban Robert Sarver from or giving up his majority ownership of the Phoenix Suns, that wasn't an Adam Silver decision. He doesn't have the power to make that decision. That comes from the owners. 
And the owners didn't want that precedent, which tells you more about the owners than they do anything else. There's a lot more owners in the NBA closer to Robert Sarver in terms of if we tried to get Robert Sarver out of there as president of or as the owner, majority owner of the Phoenix Suns, and he takes us to court or he goes to court and you get emails and you get subpoenas and you get all this other stuff. Well, hell, if they go ahead and they check my emails and they check everything that I've said and done in every conversation or my employees, damn. Well, then I'm not going to look that far worse than Robert Sarver. So, no, I don't want that bullshit to be happening. No, I don't want that to be happening to uh, me or haven't put myself in that situation. Again, which shows you more about what's happening as far as the owners are concerned. I mean, we sit there and talk about the NBA as the Players League. Yes, the Players League, when it's on the court, when they are playing, when it comes down to win or lose the games that are being played on the court. But when it comes to other things, no, nah, man, the owners are the ones. The ones who sign the checks run this league, man. And LeBron and Chris Paul and everybody else, I mean, you know, when it comes right down to it, the owners run this bitch. So if the owners don't want Robert Sarver out, there really ain't nothing LeBron James or Chris Paul or... Or, or anybody else who has a voice that people listen to can really do or say to uh, get Robert Sarver out of there. If the owners don't want him out, Robert Sarver ain't going out. Just like in the NFL, I'm begging, I'm pleading, please get that worthless piece of shit of an owner of, our, of my Washington commanders, Daniel Snyder, get him out of here any way, anyhow that you can. But the owners are like, no. All of that shit that uh, Daniel Snyder did as far as misogyny, as far as the workplace environment, the toxic, hostile workplace environment that he had owning this football team, these owners know that if they vote him out, that there's going to be hell to pay, and all of a sudden now their skeletons are going to be coming out of the closet. They don't want that either. It's all about precedent. This wasn't an Adam Silver's decision. It wasn't. So it, it, it just make, it makes me laugh. So, yeah. So, again, why not remove him? What was the big difference between what Sarver did as a human being different than what Donald Sterling did to get expelled from the league? If you remember Donald Sterling, the former owner of the Los Angeles Clippers, former owner, current scumbag, was caught on tape telling his mistress not to associate with or bring black men to team games. In response to the NBA filing, Sterling, $2.5 million, banned him from the league for life. Now, it's an interesting situation because they didn't take away the franchise from him. They banned him for life. So the deal was, he was still the owner of the Clippers, but he was banned for life. What happened was, how Sterling lost his ownership was, his wife took him to court to say that this guy is mentally unfit to own a basketball team, proved it in court, then she got the responsibilities of owning the Los Angeles Clippers, and then she sold the uh, team to Steve Ballmer for like two and a half or three billion dollars or some nonsense like that. So this wasn't a situation where Donald Sterling, when he was, when he faced the music for his stupidity and his racism and his ignorance, his penalty wasn't, he had the team taken away from him, he was just banned for the league in terms of showing up and doing other type of things. It was his wife who took him to court and found him mentally incompetent and unstable to own the football, uh, own the basketball team, to own the Clippers, which 
then removed Donald Sterling from ownership of the Los Angeles Clippers. So, one of the reasons Silver gave of, uh, you know, the reason why, you know, this was different in terms of the punishment is concerned with Sarver compared to uh, Sterling, this is what uh, this is what Silver said about that. Why the penalty in the case of Donald Sterling is different than, than Mr. Sarver. So, I'd say, number one, it was the same law firm, the same investigators, both who looked into the Sterling matters, looked into Sarver's matter, and ultimately the same league office and the same ultimate judge. And for me, the situations were dramatically different. I think what, what we saw in the case of Donald Sterling was um, a blatant, um, blatant racist conduct um, directed um, at a select group of people. Um, and while it's difficult to know what is in someone's heart or in their mind, we heard those words and then there was a follow-up from the league office and that became public as well in terms of what Mr. Sterling even subsequently said about his actions. So what Silver was talking about was he mentioned that the same law firm, investigators, legal office, and judge, they ruled on both situations. I don't, I don't know what that means. But his explanation of the difference, which he called dramatically different. I don't know what, so, what was so dramatically different about it. But he said, in the Donald Sterling situation, it was a blatant racist conduct directed at a select group of people. Interesting. We hear those words, and then there was a follow-up from the league office, and that became public as well in terms of what Mr. Sterling even subsequently said about his actions. So this is what I understand what Mr. Silver's talking about. This is how I interpret what he was talking about, was that Sterling's racism, ignorance, and overall levels of stupidity was caught on tape for the public to hear, which led to shame and embarrassment for the league. So basically what happened was the difference is we don't have any audio of Robert Sarver saying or calling somebody a nigger. We don't have Robert Sarver on tape um, for the public uh, making misogynistic or racist comments. So this is something that we can we, we can't hear, we can't feel, we can't touch in terms of the heart, in terms of the mind of listening and saying with the ears of far listening to a white man, billionaire, I guess he's a billionaire, billionaire, old white billionaire like Robert Sarver using such language as nigger and these other abhorrent type of, uh, of uh, phrases and, and sentences and such. But here's the thing that's interests me. If you listen to the audio of Sterling and the comments that he made and the stupidity and the ignorance of the uh, comments of the audio when he was talking to his girlfriend at the time. You live with your heart. I don't... You're, you're, you can't be flexible. You can't... I am flexible. I understand that that's the way you were raised and that's your culture and I'm respectful. And well, why, why do you have to disrespect them? Those are... Who am I disrespecting? The world before you. Why am I disrespecting them? Well, by, by walking and you perceive as either a Latina or a white girl. Why should you be walking publicly with black people? Why? Is there a benefit to you? 
Is it a benefit to me? Does it matter if they're white or blue or yellow? I guess that you don't know that. Maybe you're stupid. Maybe you don't know what people think of you. It does matter, yeah. It matters. Do you know that I'm mixed? No, I don't know. You know that I'm mixed. You told me you were going to remove those. People call you and tell you that I have black people on my Instagram and it bothers you. Yeah, it bothers me a lot that you want to broadcast that you're associating with black people. You don't have to. You associate with black people because of your upbringing. You want me to have hate towards black people? I don't want you to have hate. That's what people do. They turn things around. I want you to love them privately. In your whole life, every day you could be with them, every single day of your life. But so not in public? So why publicize it on the Instagram and why bring it to my kingdoms? Let me ask you a question. Because you heard that, right? It's gotten to the point now, listening to that is just funny. It's not funny, but it's funny. But my question to you with this, what's the difference between what Sterling said or was caught saying for public consumption compared to this scenario on the evening of October 30th, 2016. Earl Watson in the third game as the Phoenix Suns head coach. The team played the Golden State Warriors. The Suns played the Golden State Warriors. Remember the Warriors at that time, NBA champions, in the midst of their dynasty. The Suns had been tolling at the bottom of the NBA standing for years, missing the playoffs for six straight season. Watson was the fourth coach in as many years. I get the Warriors that night. The game was close. The Suns even led by 13 in the first half before Golden State and Draymond and Clay and Steph woke up and won a close game, 106 to 100, dropping the Suns' record to 0 and 3. 79 more games to go, right? So what Watson told ESPN after the loss, Sarford entered the coach's locker room and said, "You know why does Draymond Green get to run up the court and say nigger?" Sarver repeated the repeated saying nigger several times in a row. Watson, who was black and Hispanic, <laughs> told Sarver, you can't say that. Why? Sarver replied, replied. Draymond Green says nigger. And Watson said again, you can't fucking say that. So if that conversation was recorded, let's just say, for instance, that the, that the audio tape was rolling during that situation, when that conversation was was taking place compared to the conversation that Sterling had that got him banned from the league. Which one is more damaging and worthy of an extremely harsh penalty? Because what that said, I think Sarver's is a lot worse. I mean, just the fact that he said nigger and repeated the saying the word nigger. I mean, that, that supersedes anything that uh, Sterling was saying. What Sterling said was repugnant and horrible and disgusting and just stupid and ignorant and racist and all of those things combined into one times ten. But he didn't say the word nigger. And nigger is the trigger in terms of saying, hey, man, no, 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 no. You don't go there with that bullshit. You don't go there and say that bullshit. So, you know, a situation where, well, that was Sterling's final nail in the coffin because... If you remember, this guy was a slumlord and he had treated blacks badly in other adventures of his life and this, that, and the other. And the way he treated his employees and the way, you know, he would bring people into the locker room and 
these guys would be dressing and Sterling friends would go into the locker room while they were undressed and nude and Sterling would be like, look at those beautiful black bodies. You know, taking a look at them like they're horses or chattel or something like that. So there was just embarrassing type of bullshit that was going on with Sterling for years and years. He was a detriment. People were basically waiting for him to die. So, you know, he could just get rid of them. He didn't die. You know, so it was a situation where they were looking for something, some way, somehow to get rid of him. That tape proved to be the nail in the coffin, unlike Robert Sarver, who really doesn't, he's a bad owner, and, uh, you know, he's incompetent as an owner. But, you know, the level of the shit that uh, Donald Sterling did compared to uh, Robert Sarver, Sarver's shit didn't reach Sterling's shit. So, it was a situation where, I don't know, I don't know, but, uh, you know. Again, the NBA owners aren't forcing Robert Sarver to uh, sell the team because, again, opening up those, uh, opening up Pandora's box, opening up those closets, those skeletons will still be talking. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Let me end with this real quick. Um, week three of the week three of college football blowout Saturday for all the top ranked teams. Georgia looked as dominant as ever beaten South Carolina 48-7. So far this season, they've outscored their competition 150 to like 10. Destin Bennett completed 16 of 23 passes for 284 yards, two touchdowns, and added another 36 yards on three rushes. One going for a touchdown, not putting him in as a Heisman Trophy candidate just yet, maybe, but not just yet. Alabama found an opponent in Louisiana Monroe to overwhelm, to beat up, to get some type of, get some swag and their confidence back. They won 63 to 7. Bryce Young passed for three touchdowns, rushed for a fourth. Will Anderson Jr. scored on an interception return. Young completed 13 of 18 passes for 236 yards, also through his first two interceptions of the season, playing Louisiana Monroe. Yeah. And the tied out gain. Monroe 509-169. Ohio State, the number three team in the country, put up 77 points against Toledo, winning 77-21. to I saw a little bit near the end of that game. that They were not running up the score. C.J. Stroud threw five touchdown passes. Ohio State rolled up 763 yards. Stroud completed 22 of 27 passes, 367 yards in almost three quarters. Buckeyes scored on all six of their first half possessions. Stroud completed 18 of 20 passes for 297 yards and a pair of touchdown passes, each each to Marvin Harrison Jr. and Julian Fleming on the way to a 42-14 lead. Very nice little uh, pick-me-up, very nice little game to be played before they start their conference season, conference play next week as they will host Wisconsin, other top 10 games, mentioning Blowout City, Michigan beat UConn 59 to nothing. Clemson beat Louisiana Tech 48 to 20. And when you have Clemson scoring 48 points, that's the equivalent of the other top team scoring somewhere in the 60s. Oklahoma beat Nebraska 49 14. Nebraska. <laughs> Oklahoma State beat Arkansas Pine Bluff 63 to 7. Kentucky beat Youngstown State 31 to nothing. Some ranked team losing. Michigan State Mel Tucker's going down to Washington, 39-28. to Number 25, Oregon. Bo Nix probably had his best game since his first game of his freshman season. Uh, they beat BYU, who, were, who was ranked number 12, 41-20. 24 ranked Texas A&M beat number 13, Miami, 17-9. And the game that I saw that was putrid. 
and gave the passing interest only because it keeps getting worse for Brian Hartson over in Auburn. Number 22, Penn State beat Auburn at home 41-12. to I'll go into more detail when I do my podcast, the video portion of my podcast on YouTube. But as of right now, it's 12 o'clock. i got to wake up in about four and a half hours. And I just want to hurry up, get this published, and get it over with. So I want to thank you so much for listening to my podcast, Wendell's World of Sports. Looking good, sounding good. Please do what we need to do to educate ourselves. Make sure that you have a conversation with someone of a different race, of a different gender, of a different background, of different everything, so we can learn from each other, so we can pass on love, peace, and unity, and harmony, and togetherness for everybody worthy of it. We could do that. That would be fantastic. That would be awesome. That would be wonderful. Wendell's World and Sports. Wendell Wallace, get me out of here, baby, with some music.